0: This episode is brought to you by The Real Flower Company, for all of your luxury flower needs. It's the Pompey Pubcast, that combines the beers
1: and the blues.
0: Barrels for Pompey, round Kushak goes down, penalty to pass with an Old Trafford. Barrels tripped by Thomas Kushak, who sent off Montari do the job. He steps up, left-footed, scores for Pompey.
1: They lead an Old Trafford in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Jamal Lowe's onside, the flag stayed down, Jamal Lowe, nonchalant, fantastic, brilliant. Portsmouth Football Club are promoted to League One. Curtis across the face, a goal. Marquess!
0: Marquess! He's won it! 96 minutes on the clock.
1: Portsmouth are heading back to Wembley. This is Three Lads in the pub.
0: Welcome along then to a special edition of Three Lads in the Pub. Myself, Liam Howes, Ryan Stillweller are down here at Fratton Park. We are very lucky to be in the Chairman's Lounge for this edition. And uh, we are joined by Chief Executive of Portsmouth Football Club, Andy Cullen. Nice to meet you, Andrew. Thank you for, for having us here.
1: Good to see you, Liam and Ryan too. Um,
0: so, first of all, Andrew, I mean, how long's it been now since you've been here? Uh, I've, I've lost count. How many, how many months are we in?
1: I came here in late June so uh, yeah it was um, a bit of a whirlwind because I uh, was sort of uh, offered the opportunity to come to Portsmouth at the back end of April, beginning of May and uh, it all happened very quickly in terms of the move so yeah it's been a <laughs> one can say a very very lively start to things at Portsmouth um, lots of different things um, you know have happened, are going on uh, you know, right from the stadium improvements the infrastructure, obviously uh, events on the field as well so uh, yeah it's been a it's been an absolutely non-stop 24 hour 7 but uh, one that i'm thoroughly enjoying
0: obviously you were settled in at MK mkware 12 years so how how has it been it's it's been non-stop like you say
1: <laughs> well it was a, it's a fresh first of all it was a fresh start at 12 uh 12 really enjoyable years at uh, mk don's helping to you know sort of uh, play a part in establishing the football club um into stadium mk uh obviously uh you know as well as the football there's lots of other things go on there in terms of a uh, 304 bedroom hotel um, you know a 35,000 square foot arena um, and everything sort of complementing and working to benefit the football club ultimately that's uh, that's how the, how, how the whole project worked there and prior to that of course I had 11 years at uh, Norwich City as well so um, you know now in a, at a third club after a long long time um, but the challenge and you know the opportunity to come here and you know help um, take the club on you know, onto its next stage of development was you know just one that I just couldn't resist having been here so many times experience the the special atmosphere at Fratton Park um, and buying into some of the developments that are going to go on to take the club on I think um, now my impression probably like a lot of people over the last few years was a stadium which wasn't in the best condition and uh, you know to progress and move forward you've got to have the right infrastructure in place to take you on to next stage so that was um, that was that was one thing that when I came and met Mark and I know Mark for some time uh, obviously you know being being in the game as long as I have we've come across each other at conferences we share a lot of ideas together over the last few years so we've had a very very good rapport and then uh, Mark invited me down we had a look round he showed me the stadium uh, took me over to the training ground as well gave in, gave me a, a heads up as to what was going to happen down there over the next few months and it just seemed incredibly exciting time to come to Portsmouth and hopefully take the club on to next stage and play a part in in, in leading some of the things that need, need to happen a great team of staff here to work with and, and uh, who all play play their own individual role and importantly connecting the football club to the community, connecting it as well to other aspects of the football club such as Portsmouth in the community that you know do a wonderful job uh, the women's team, getting them involved in, and feeling very much part of the club as well those were all part of the things that you can see that uh, can make a real real difference to the future of this football club
0: And another step in that direction, obviously that direction today, meeting us, meeting us fans on a fan podcast, so thank you for coming on and uh, yeah, like I say, we, if you're a first-time listener to our podcast, we are uh, all Pompey fans. And uh, yeah, we're very lucky to have uh, have you on with us, Andrew, so thank you for that. Well, what do you feel your uh, most successful moment is to date, obviously being here at, at Portsmouth and the most challenging moment for you so far?
1: Um, I think the most, well, I'll start with the challenging first. I think taking any football club, whether it's Portsmouth, MK Dons, um, you know, Liverpool, leading any club out of the pandemic is you know extremely difficult most of us have lost uh, you know an incredible amount of revenue over the last few years over the last year during the pandemic Uh, and then it was you know, a situation where the lights suddenly came back on with three weeks. I think most of us were hoping um, back in July, uh, June, July, that the government would allow us to come back to some sort of uh, football in front of crowds. So to have the opportunity, I think it was around about, you know, the, the, the third or fourth week in July, where the season just two weeks away, you can come back and you can play in front of full crowds was fantastic. It really was. But of course, you've then got to put things in place. And there were huge challenges, not least in terms of some of the things that we needed to get in place. A lot of new things had happened during um, the lockdown. The club had prepared for um, all sorts of um, different systems in terms of ticketing and and IT. But probably the biggest one was staffing at that time because... Um, to try and bring staff in who were still affected by the pandemic to satisfy a match day whether it be stewards, whether it be catering staff was a real, real difficult um, issue for not just Portsmouth Football Club but for all clubs to try and get through and uh, we, as you know we faced some difficulties over those first few games and it wasn't great as a new CEO coming in um, to sort of be presiding over some of those things but you, know, you start to read of all the problems that were going on at other clubs and I think there was a huge problem down the road from here as well on one particular game against Manchester United on early in earlier in the window, but it was something that was deeply affecting us all. I think some clubs are still still struggling. One or two, um, you know, that have put things in have, have, have got some issues. So, um, but we will get through it. We're now getting to a point where it, we had to overturn a few things. We know in, 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 during the pandemic, we'd um, a decision was taken by the club to take on the concourse catering operation and staff to do it because we couldn't get the staff, let alone in other places of the club. So we managed to slowly unravel all of this. Um, bring some professional operators in at the same time we had ROCO, so we had a gym to take over with 2,000 members, and again integrating all the staff into that, and then responsible for all the health and safety and running those. So, yeah, I came in I think the first few weeks, um, really with a whole host of things to try and uh, uh get our heads around, and it's taken a bit of time. Um, the good news is, as I said, you know, in terms of some of those issues, we brought in partners now to help us so we can focus on the bigger areas and um this month at Roco we bought in a management company to help run the gym for us Um, and that's great for the staff there because they're going to get you know new career opportunities it's going to perhaps we'll talk about it later but it's going to coincide with a a really big investment in the facilities at Roco so we can grow that membership and ultimately drive some extra revenue that can be put back into the training ground facilities so uh, yeah those are the challenges in in terms of the things that have worked well um, I think it's step by step I'm hoping that I've really enjoyed the engagement with supporters um, I've got my tour t-shirt from Johnny Moore from all the uh, road shows that we did uh, earlier in the season from from, from the Isle of Wight and you know, unfortunately some of those have been able to do in person as opposed to the early ones we had to do on on Zoom um, but we're now getting to a stage where we can go out sit down meet people and Danny's been brilliant in terms of you know joining me at the mall so you know people can you know get a fair um, reflection of what's going on answer their questions. And uh, the other two challenges, I think, look back as as we got into it, as I think as we got organised, as I've understood the club better, understand the people I work with better, um, you know, to get the North Stand lower uh, relocation process, which I, I absolutely, you know, sort of uh, had nightmares about for, you know, when I saw we had to relocate 1,200 season ticket holders in the midst of a season. I've relocated season ticket holders at the start of a season, but never during a season. Um, but that worked well, mainly due to the support that we had from you know from 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 a working group of supporters in that stand uh and and you know and i actually said slow down you don't need to do everything at once and we've done it in two parts so that we've done the relocation first and then from this week on thursday we've got another meeting where we will um then work through with them the process of relocating people back to the areas that they came from because the seats will be slightly different and I suppose the, f- the, the the next piece we did, another one that gave us sleepless nights, was the COVID certification, which thankfully, um, and we ho- and hopefully, has only lasted for one fixture, um, but took a huge amount of organisation, preparation, communication to get that right. And I think learning from the lessons of the summer uh, were very helpful in making that w- in our relative success in terms of getting people inside the stadium whilst fulfilling our obligations under the safe certificate to uh, check every individual uh, coming in into the stadium
2: a nightmare yeah. wasn't it but we got there. I actually yeah. um, from my own experience of the Covid certifications I actually thought it was really well handled by the club where we'd been advised that this would be in place at the Cambridge games both the league game and the EFL trophy at the league game they checked a few fans entering the away end for the league trophy. They didn't bother at all. Uh, for the Wimbledon game, they didn't check anyone at all. They actually had full body searches instead to check if you, I don't know if you had COVID physically. Uh, I'm not sure on that one, but here at the club you had actually, a, a, I liked that you had yeah. a line of volunteers, at almost every access point to Fratton park, um, w- whether or not people were skeptical about whether it was going to work, cause huge delays from my own experience going into the stadium that day. Uh, I have to say, of the of the clubs that were doing COVID checks that we went to, home and away, probably Pompey handled it better than anyone else I'd been to. So I thought it was a good tick in the box from where the club had admitted previous failings in terms of its, you know, communicative front that they they actually handled that really well
1: you learn you continue you always want to improve i mean i've been in the game for nearly 25 years but you learn something new every day and you learn how to do things better and a change of environment also makes you reassess uh things and that you must never take things for granted and that was one of the key things but a special thank you to the supporters because you know you can get the communications and you can organise anything but you know supporters were brilliant they actually turned up a little bit earlier I think in most cases and they would normally do so Uh, they came well prepared they had the uh, COVID certification loaded onto the wallets because there was you know you could put them onto the phone then you had to get stopped cause you had to la- enter the passwords and the codes and the wi-fi's falling apart yeah. you know on match days because everyone's trying to access the covid app at quarter to three well it was and then paper certification so everybody came really really well prepared and without that we wouldn't have had the um situation of getting everybody in on time
2: mm. one of the one of the handy little things from my experience because uh, i normally go to the Gun companion for my family but that day that day i went to the victory lounge to meet some friends uh one of the handy little things was just the the, the sticker you could put on someone's phone to say it's been checked uh, and that obviously saves a bit of time around having your open your phone again check it again you can just flash that sticker so it yeah i think those little tweaks there you had yeah. the stewards with the the big handheld signs the stickers yeah obviously those things I imagine that once you do it the first time you learn that it's an efficient way to move the large groups of supporters around Hopefully can I, can we don't I have to just go interrupt there and oh, say
1: means. the thumbs up MK Don sticker was nothing to do with me. Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> I did see that. and Thought that that doesn't bode well for the game. But.
0: <laughs> no now, obviously, we, we uh, fingers crossed, yeah. Andrew. It doesn't happen yeah. again. Uh, we don't get that position. But if we do, we're we're well prepared.
1: I for it, think we're clearly. confident. We you know we'll know what we're doing. Yeah. well prepared. Supporters know what to expect. So yeah. let's pray and hope that uh, we don't have to go back to those things
0: again. Hmm. Uh, next next question: What successes from from NK? we well, obviously, we spoke. Off, off off mic about your time there but obviously for for the for the listeners uh, what successes from MK do you wish to bring here to to Pompey and what have you learned in your time there that you'd wish to avoid here
1: well, if I'd start with um, on the pitch uh, first of all, because that's the most, most important thing to supporters. We can you now we talked about COVID certification, we talked about north stand and relocation, investment in the ground, etc. But the most important thing to supporters will be what happens on the pitch. And I'd like to think at MK what where we got to. You know, we we had an identity. We had an identity under Carl Robinson for a number of years, which helped us win promotion to the championship um, and uh, you know, brought through some very very good young players. Delhi Ali probably at the forefront of that but you know the George Baldocks who've gone on to play in the Premier League um, the likes of uh, Brendan Galloway who went to Everton um, but his career stalled a little bit but George Williams to, you know, to Fulham um, you know, who've all gone on and, and done really really well um, but I think an identity and then helping uh, working with Russell Martin in terms of establishing probably one of the bravest identities in football at the time in terms of it was real behind the sofa behind closed doors last season watching the football that was being played High risk, high reward. High risk, high reward, yeah. You know, tempting teams into traps. But, you know, having um, every player knew their position and through that, we've recruited a lot of young players coming in. Last January's window um, and, and the window prior to that, we identified a lot of the up-and-coming young 21, 22-year-old players um, with league experience. Um, they weren't players coming out of academies in, in in you know uh, who, who were fresh to the game um, with the exception of Matt O'Reilly um, but most of them were coming in, 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 in into the team that particular way but we also balanced it with experience it wasn't all about young players we had the likes of Richard Keogh come in and Cameron Jerome uh You know, a few years earlier, we'd had Alan Smith um, on a remarkable deal come and join us from Newcastle. Um, And, you know, you've you've always had that little bit of experience. Russell Martin himself coming in in our League Two promotion campaign in the the January window to help us get across the line. And um, but it was about that identity. And it's about that strong sense of recruitment to know where you're going. I mean, I've I've done some research uh, with Tony Brown over the last um last week or so just to understand how Portsmouth has recruited in the past and really interesting that i think of the 107 players uh, that have come in since 2015-16 season been recruited um nearly half of them have come in from the championship and the recruitment's not been as good from league two and from lower leagues where perhaps you can get them and where Portsmouth has recruited from those divisions' it has spectacular success uh, you know Jamal Lowe will be a, be a good one obviously ryan Curtis coming In from, sorry, Ronan Curtis coming in, looking at you, Ryan, there. Yeah, yeah. I I, don't like a footballer, I will admit. And I've not had a beer yet. But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, so, um, you know, there there are some some real sort of, you know, we get the recruitment right and spot that. We can, you know, there's an area of focus going forward. So some of those areas on the pitch, um, you know, uh, are important. You know, having having everything aligned into the academy re- re- really good we we, we, we we had some good years with the academy and we had some really poor years with the academy you know we had some sickle, sickle of things so trying just to reinvent where we were going with a sense of direction and joining the academy up with our own community scheme as well so there's a certain amount of snobbery sometimes takes place within football academies where they don't look to their community schemes who are in every school during the week and can really untap and identify the best talent and bring them development centres so that was where we joined up off the pitch communication uh, engagement with fans was a big part of you know Norwich and something I tried to bring into MK, but especially as you're trying to establish a, a new fan base and a new club there, um, I thought, you know, inv- I've always subscribed to involving supporters and in decisions that affect the most uh, all the way through from ticketing, pricing, away matches, um, in terms of, you know, when you get demand exceeds uh, supply, how, how, you, how you do that in a way that uh, supporters can play a part in helping you do it. So communication Cam, you know, it's just been really, really good at this club. Mark Catlin's done a fantastic job in terms of the different forums that were in place and I'd like to continue with those and maybe take it a stage further where the supporters can come in and help, you know, use that enthusiasm, that passion, that knowledge they have of the club to take it on to next level. So that's something that uh, is the next stage for me to try and bring in here and take that on to a new level.
2: Well, Hopefully, yeah, I think a lot of fans who have been to Stadium MK, seen MK as a club, are certainly in impressed with the club as it is the ambition your comments about russell martin as well i don't think i've ever met anyone who's who's been bored of russell martin football so you know to your point there it certainly put you behind the sofa at times uh we'll move on now from you know sort of your role settling in in previous role with mk to pompey now and pompey as it is this season obviously I watched your January update with Max the other day and you spoke of how you felt the season was panning out overall obviously we've been fairly streaky we opened up with four clean sheets then we dropped down to 17th with two wins in 15 then we went on the the really inspiring 10 game unbeaten run now 2022's been unfortunately a rough one since that enforced three-week break in terms of the Vision for this season yourself in that January update and in one of the Tony Goodall fans conferences I believe it was the September one you stated that Danny Cowley might need two to three windows to to truly bring in what would be his squad with a a, you know a larger wage budget available Uh, as you said at the time two-thirds of the budget was tied up in the players that were still here when he arrived going into this season then what was the original sort of bottom line benchmark the consensus at the club that the the on-field was supposed to meet and has that changed over the course of the season where performances have dipped there have been a series of injuries coming uh, coming in certainly with the news coming out of the Oxford game Saturday and indeed the Charlton game but how, how have the expectations changed over the course of the season
1: I think uh, yeah yeah it's a really good question Ryan and I think um you set out the season to be as competitive as you possibly can and uh, the resources we had available were still a, uh, you know, where we are, we should, you know, we, we should and need to be challenging around the top six, make no mistake about that, that's where we saw things but at the same time we recognised it was a season of transition, um, Danny um, looked at what he wanted to do, um, looked at, you know, the strategy and, and, and philosophy, the way he wanted to play football go forward and I immediately knew from my previous experience, particularly the last two or three years where we went through a really radical change and under, under, under the manager at MK that this would take a little bit of time you know Russ wasn't able to do what he did in one window Carl likewise back in 20, 2011 it was something that takes a little bit of time to to actually to actually get there so patience is a, is, is a great thing but patience necessarily is difficult in a football club and for you know everybody around it to to, to, to provide that time and space so it was very Keen to accentuate that that you know we to, to Danny to get his players isn't going to happen over one or two windows. By the third window, you should get there. And I think probably seventy percent of the squad now are coming through as Danny's players. So he's getting to a stage, and some of the players who aren't his are players that he really believes in as well. So uh, I think we go into next year with with that sort of squad. We'll still go into next year with an extremely competitive budget. Um, I've, I've, I read somewhere uh, or heard from somebody earlier in the week that our budget was allegedly going to be cut to one point. 8 million next year As I have heard that rumour uh, floating a, 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 absolute there's a bit, bit of mischief for the, a, a, a little bit of nonsense but uh, I can put that one to, to bed straight away I exclusive think, there you go I,
2: I, I, <laughs> I knew it was a good idea this I, I,
1: I'm f- full of those I'm sure um, but moving moving forward I think what's more important than budgets is you can get hung up by budgets and if you look at the, the top two spending teams in league one this year they're not in the top six so uh, I assume uh, I a assume a club in East Anglia is one of those <laughs>
2: that, <laughs> without naming names that's I you that, used,
1: that, used to think of me to know Ryan that, that but, is, uh, that, yeah, that is yeah, one of the problems yeah. that obviously fans yeah.
2: see yeah. teams going out and getting
0: yeah. these big name players and I mean I think that that's what frustrates obviously from a fans point of view that's what frustrates people and that's yeah. why, why why are we not Bit, doing that but that's the yeah. question that's always asked but
1: yeah, I think I think what's more important is, is it's about it's about your strategy, and and that's what people want to, want to hear. What's the club going to be doing in terms of recruitment going forward? So ultimately, where we stand today is um, we have. We have players in contract for next year. We have a large number of players on options and we have players out of contract and um, some of those that weren't going to be offered contracts for next year have got on with their careers and have moved out during this January window. Others um, you know that we will start the process now. Everybody, every agent, um, actually I speak to an agent on Friday who said most players are coming up to on February 1st say well come on what's happening and so it takes a bit of time to, to get those discussions going and some players will want to sign some players will want to wait and see what happens between now and the end of the season so it's not an exact science um, and, and and likewise on the options you know we'll, we'll make considered judgments on those that um, you know that, uh, that, 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 that we have that facility on as well but what's important is what we're going to do how are we going to improve as a football club how are we going to get everything properly aligned and I think one of the big things um, that I mentioned earlier on was just looking at um, you know th- th- this market that we can start to look at you know players on the way up um you know let's take them for Hulme, for example you know an under 20 23 and under player uh who's already you know sort of made the grade at this particular level and Danny Danny certainly believes as a player on the way up that's you know but comes at a fee comes for a fee we're not scared of that and that's somewhere that we probably want to look in at the moment um and just get the balance right so we're not constantly maybe spending big wages on players uh that are in um you know that, that have had good careers so far slightly older there's certainly a place we still want to do that as well but we've got to get the balance right for this football club and create longer term value and longer term assets for this football club
2: absolutely um we've been speaking about the budget so we'll we'll keep that the the theme of the topic for the moment a few fans notably myself as well had noticed that throughout the course of the season there's been a, a difference in lexicology used between yourself and Danny Cowley when referring to the budget so I noticed that in the January update and throughout the season you had uh, you'd revealed that we'd overspent on the budget on a total of three occasions so the signing of Joe Morrell Marlon Romay on loan for Millwall and then now to bring Denver Human. that's the third time that we've increased beyond the top end of what the perceived budget was at the start of the season whereas Uh, And obviously with the AGM, uh, the PST AGM that came out in, uh, I believe it was the back end of October, Michael had come out and said that, you know, he'd been backed well, backed with a side that was capable of challenging in the higher echelons. There have been a few times on the other side of that coin where Danny Cowley's used words like limited in what we can spend. For example, when Ryan Tunnicliffe suffered his initial injury in November, uh, he, he... spoke about the midfield depth and he said you know we're limited in what we could spend at the end of the january transfer window he said you know we've we've had to make do with what we could work with has that been recognized at all as a sticking
1: point it's not something i recognize And in fact i spoke to danny on the very subject on friday because i recognize some of the language that you've just used Ryan, and um that was it was um, I think what you do is you have your parameters like any any business any household you, you, you have a budget that you set to and you assign it to different things the playing budget we have is a really really good budget um, and the manager then chooses how to spend that budget and you know, it's it's not for chief executives to come in and say go and sign that particular player, or you can only spend this much on that sort of player. If Pat Danny comes and says we've got to get this player in, it's really important to me, but it's going to cost you a little bit more. Can we do it? And I think in the cases of Joe Morrell, um, and certainly uh, in this window, you know, we've done it again with Tyler Walker and getting a fee for Denver Hume. They're all they're all very very you know big signings for for the club in terms of the budget, and we've tried wherever we can um, to support support it. So that da- da- Danny Danny can decide to go out and spend his budget on 50 players or he can decide to spend it on 20 players that's a decision and we'll have our own views and thoughts on it but ultimately it's a manager that has to go out and carry the can so you've got to back him 100% in what he wants to do and if he comes with a particular special case as has happened in my time now on um, three occasions the three you mentioned are actually really good examples um, then we've been able to do it um, for Danny and uh, it's important that you know we try and back wherever it's possible and I think going forward that's going to be be critically important in terms of you know looking at this younger player as well, because there might be some really, really good examples out there that we want to go in, but we might have to go a little bit further and stretch things to be able to get them. I don't know you know yet what that might be. Uh, we identified a few in the January window that we inquired about, but Danny and I both agreed and I stressed Danny and I looked at it and said that's not great value for this football club at this time it may be stronger when we go into the summer you know then the market will have changed a little bit in terms of either those players or other ones that you know that we want to recruit into the football club so no we're, we're really aligned on it um um and and you know it's it's got to be something that uh, you know the manager has got to have that final say on what he wants to bring in and how he wants to use his budget and that's that's a philosophy that I followed all the way through my career since I got involved on the football side of things at at the clubs Um, very much a case at you know MK Dons Pete Winkleman exactly the same sort of philosophy and strategy and you know with his managers as well much more limited in terms of what you know the money the money that could be spent but you know some fantastic deals done by all these different managers um, in, in, in terms of you know of players that we're able to bring in and Danny's done some great work this year as well in being able to capture some of the players I mean Joe, Joe Morrell a great example of a player that really was attracting strong championship interest, but we got him. Tyler Walker in a January window. Um, th- uh, there were clubs in League One, you know, above us who desperately wanted to get Tyler, and you know we were able to to, 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 to back Danny and, and get a player that he really wanted to bring into the football club. So, uh, and and again with Denver Hume, as I said, that represents a type of player going forward that I think will be important to this football club
2: yeah Denver Hume I think was one of those there was an odd there was an odd element of Pompey fans wishing to write him off before he put on a Pompey shirt to me that that seems absolutely bonkers purely on the on the basis of what Sunderland fans had reviewed on Twitter uh, I think he's one of those players that you have have to absolutely give a chance to and given that yeah. he's stepped into adverse conditions you know the way the Oxford game played out yeah. going down early to Charlton he's, he's certainly come to a baptism of fire but myself you know, personally, I've been impressed with the work he's put in so far, the pure grit that he puts in, he works yeah. hard.
1: I think we could see that at Charlton with some delivery of some of the balls into well, first the box. The
2: thing you did was, was put a decent cross th- in. <laughs> <Yeah>. th- <laughs> like, yeah. Things we
1: all knew we'd been missing a little bit in yeah. terms of that, you know, in, in, in terms of that delivery into the boxes to, to, to help the strikers. Instead, against yeah.
0: Charlton, he was obviously one player that could come off of his head held high, play for the shirt, and that's what, yeah. ultimately, that's
2: what Pompey fans, that's what we want to, we want to see, isn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. Um, in, uh, in terms of, one of your comments was about how you use that budget, so it could be, you know, in the, in the region of signing, x many players I've noticed that you know our most recent opponents Oxford have a particularly large squad particularly in their midfield core or you could go down to where you've got 20 players for example there exists now an odd dynamic where uh, as per yourself we've maxed out the budget four times I was mistaken because obviously you mentioned Tyler Walker so we've maxed it out or overspent for Morel uh, Romeo Walker, yeah, and
1: Hume, yeah, just to, and then just to put that into context, though, Ryan ty- Tyler was an expensive signing. You know, we, we we you know we could have got a few players so what we paid for Tyler. Didn't max out the budget at that particular time. The, the next budget went out with Denver coming I in, see, so yeah, no, that's but to, yeah. To, to to make it clear with Tyler, you know, that was financed by you know us being able to release a couple of other players to to bring Tyler in. So we get to January, and in terms of where the budget um, was, uh, we spent more on what we spend spent on the outgoings and that seems odd to people because they say well actually you know you've let eight go out well let's take one of those eight as hadji anyway who was out on loan last season um so you've got you've got a, a you know seven and five equation um but we spent more on the five than the seven but those five are going to give us far more value minutes on the pitch than perhaps the if you take joe and um lee i'm sorry john marquis and lee brown out of the mm. equation uh then you know in terms of the other five you know uh you know you know contributed uh, less than 12 12 appearances between them so that that's 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 where we were on that one
2: are we seeing a potential manager preference play out here where uh, we've overspent on the budget but we have a a smaller playing squad now where he prefers to work with a smaller group of players potentially?
1: I think that's all part of the transition and I I think this is why I keep coming back to this three windows uh, situation because, you know, going forward, um, it doesn't necessarily mean we're always going to have a very, very small squad. Um, It's going to come down to where you can, you know, where you can use your budget most effectively uh, and in a way that, um, you know, the manager can then choose between what, what number of players he wants in the squad. So it's getting the balance right. I've always looked at a squad Structure that you end up with probably five or six players um, who are quite expensive, but they find the quality of your team. And underneath, them there's probably seven players that you would play 40 games for you direct, and that's your core, your core squad, your core 12 players that you're going to be calling on. And that is 11 in the squad, so don't pick me up on that. <laughs> but 12, 12 players, because I I remember a day when you had one substitute. So, Absolutely, yeah. So so, and then underneath that, you've then got players underneath that who you will be able to call on at any time. You know, they they, they might end up playing 40 games. A season, but that, that's the core of your squad. Then you've got underneath that a core of emerging young talent, and then you hopefully you've got some youngsters knocking on the door to come through, and that gives you a you know a, a squad of you know it could be anything between twenty-two to twenty-six players. And that's the manager how he structures it. But that core twelve are really important because those are your forty-plus players that you're going to probably spend the majority on it. So then the, the skill is how you then use uh, use your budget lower, lower lower down.
2: Has the club to provide been structure? Has the club as Essentially, in a way, re evaluated that stance at all, or in potentially cursed its luck since the end of the January window. It was some fans had noted we were potentially a little bit short in midfield depth. Then there was the really mm. unfortunate injury to Sean Williams. I, obviously, there's no way you see a fractured vertebrae coming on the final day of the transfer window. I've noticed you, that today for example we've yeah. reculed, uh, recalled Harry Jewett White on loan from and Waterloo. Danny Callies also said that he wants Jay Mingy to be available in the picture but he's not quite ready yet was there potentially any cursed fortunes after you know recent events of Morel's red card and the
1: Williams injury No, football's you know, uh, you, you never know what's coming around the corner when you when you when you come in to work every morning. There's always different things that uh, are going to going to surprise you. And first of all, the thoughts are with Sean, who suffered that you know injury, which you know is, is it was so unfortunate in the way that it happened, but also the consequences that will keep him out. I mean, funnily enough, we looked at Sean as one of our players that had been really regular throughout the season, played far more games than anybody actually expected him to when he came into the well, squad. He's played
2: two roles so far; he's been a centre back, a central midfielder. Yeah
1: yeah he yeah, played left center back for for us at MK Don's when I was there so you know I knew he can he could play in that position that was his position actually forced into that three seasons because of lack of depth in that particular position um, and then played in midfield which is what we signed him for so you're looking at Sean and thinking robust is gonna you know but you you, you can never tell and that is um, that's an unfortunate consequence but look you can always look to you, you could you always learn you never stop learning in this business and I think looking at it have we gone a little bit too tight that's something that you review constantly look at but you know you've got to you know, and that's where we, we just perhaps need to look at how we structure and how we evaluate i've got my own way of you know looking at this sort of thing that's something I bought with me shared it with everybody here ultimately you know that's this is a not an dictatorial anyway but it's maybe just a framework and frame frame it's exactly what it is frameworks can be flexed stretched structured in any way that you want to do but I think this is really really important that we get this sort of structure in so that you know going forward we get through that third window then we know exactly what we are we know what our squads structure is going to look like we know how many players we're going to have in the squad everything's there. But it's really, really difficult when you're going through this transition period, and you've got a lot of players in the squad, you know, earning lots of money. Once you identify you want to bring in the window, that maybe give you a little bit more quality, suddenly become available that you didn't think you'd have a chance of. But you go out and get everything has a sort of a, a little bit of a consequence down the line. So yeah, let's get it right. Let's let's make sure we, you know, not learning. I'm not going to get defensive about the window. All I'm going to do is state the facts as they are, and then you know we we'll work through it and get through to a stage where. We- you know everyone's a, you know a really really much wiser as we go forward into next season and getting getting into a squad you know the owners are very very good here at backing their managers as as everybody will see they give them time they are patient and I think that should give Danny the confidence to structure the squad in the way that he wants to do so can we expect a busy summer <laughs> I think undoubtedly. I mean, the fact is that in most League One clubs, you're, you're you 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 got players on two year deals in the main. As a few, you, you tend to you tend to protect yourself with players you pay fees fees for on on on, on longer term deals, three years. Um, not many four or five year deals in in League One as there are in the, in the perhaps in the Premiership, um, but you know you, you're always going to have a high turnover of players in any summer window uh, but for as I said we are a little bit protected it's not as stark as it seems because we have these players um, under un, 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 with options if we want to and they want to really be part of this football club going forward and again we've got the opportunity to talk to some of those out of contract players and we know the areas that we need to really strengthen in we know you know going up front is going to be a key area and that's where you pay money for I'm not scared of that that's what we look to do and get that spine of that team sorted Alex Bass going out on loans a really really good example of someone that we do see um, needs that experience needs to play first team football if he's going to be ready for us for next year as well in League One
2: yeah I think, yeah, I think with Alex Bass there's a, there's a realisation that He's got off to a fairly competent start at Bradford. They loved him from the first night after a couple of saves went viral and obviously bringing Weber in as well. It seems like there is certainly a base for goalkeepers there to have a solid core going into the future. And on that point, we could probably segue from now Pompey and the current to Pompey in the future Talking of framework let's uh, talk about the stadium work shall we (laughs) Um,
0: obviously how how is that progressing obviously we've we've seen the updates we've seen that which are fantastic and obviously fans obviously being here we can see what's going on we can see some uh, obviously you can see where where all the rubble is and stuff but you can now see things going in from what I saw last time Uh, yeah how's how's it
1: going has it been a fairly smooth operation so far Um, I mean it's a real um, it's a real massive project in terms of the way that uh, it has to be coordinated and trying to get the work done Um, ideally you'd want to do all your work in the close season period but close seasons get shorter and shorter the season next year will start a week earlier uh, at the end of July because of the World Cup in Qatar how that affects League 1 and League 2 I'm still not entirely (laughs) sure myself but uh, uh, I think the the, the emphasis on that was for the Football League to avoid putting many midweek games on in December to conflict with World Cup matches when no one knows how that might look so whether you want to be playing, um, you know, next season you w- you want to be playing, uh, you know, Rovers on a on, a, on a Tuesday night when you know England are playing Argentina. Oh, uh, we'll have a large we, attendance we, for that we, one. We, we might find a bit of competition on that one, although not at Portsmouth. But it, it is it's really it's it, it's it's really um, important that we start work on the North Stand now. We get the works done half of that stand done. I think initially, ideally, you'd probably want to have done all the lower in in, in, in this window, but that would have displaced too many people um, so uh, we do blocks a to e now we then move on to uh, the remaining lower section in the uh, in, 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 in in the close season whilst at the same time starting work on the south stand reprofiling it making it safe increased you know y- y- you've been in there many many times and you'll know the cramped facilities that exist in there that the sort of the, the dodgy stair rails and everything else that you know is, is it gives character but unfortunately this day and age is leading to restrictions and capacity in that stand so we get it all back together i'm relatively confident that we you know we'll, we'll we, we will be in a situation um you know next season where we get capacity back up to at least nineteen thousand, and ultimately you know once we get other bits and bobs down we'll get up to 20 now that will be fluctuating because we might want to do a little work in the in, in the milton end potentially we're looking at whether we can do some of that in next season towards the end of next season rather than leaving it all to the summer as well so yeah really important much safer you know um uh hopefully a better experience for everybody you know coming in feeling feeling safe the most important aspect to any supporter from all the surveys that i've done over my time is you know it comes above everything in terms of match day catering entertainment at half time or whatever it is about feeling safe that is that is critically important yeah that has to be a critical and, and 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 we have we have to take we to because when I think when the owners came in, um, they were faced for their discussions and the real pressure from the council to say if you don't start to do works on Fratton Park Stadium, uh, then capacity is going to come down below ten thousand very quickly, and at that the football club doesn't become a sustainable, a viable option for anybody. Um, the Milton End, um, you know, is, is, is important because you know as and when the club gets into the championship, you know that will be filled out week in week out, and if you've only got a capacity of a thousand away fans then that's going to have an impact on the club and being able to compete in 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 the championship so um yeah a lot of work going on i'm pleased to see in the areas under the north stand we started to um introduce some new bar a new bar in the center we're enclosing the area towards the uh, milton end of the north lower stand in, in 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 that east section so that there's more milling space created um and that type of bar you're seeing in the north low will be something we'll replicate in the other areas and uh you know the ability as well to access that bar from outside the stadium which means we create more space at half time people can go outside be served from that side and want to go and have a smoke they can do that as well uh and then you've got the um Uh, ability as well to open that up pre-match so lots of things going on which will start to extend uh, into the north upper and into the south stand as well in
2: terms of the the work in itself it must be praised that the club is doing this work because the main stand at Oakwell Barnsley's home is still shut they've had to move everyone around the stands behind the goals at Birmingham City they had to shut for a time while they did work on those and they had to force fans around they're still under capacity restrictions there so at least the club is, is getting on and doing this one curious element i noticed is that with the work that's being done on the the north south and milton stands the completion date for those is in its entirety 2024 however i've noticed that on the ctr generated drone shots of the ground and on the sketches released that each of these stands will still have the restricted viewing pillars uh in the stands in some format this does mean that when these three stands are finished in their entirety in 2024 the only stand at fratton park that won't have restricted viewing was the one built in 1997 you use the term future proofing on the north stand Mm -hmm. yet in some elements not all but in some elements these stands are still three decades behind its predecessor the fratton end are you able to advise on why that three quarters of the stadium will still have restricted viewing and if Fratton is to be our forever home three quarters of the ground will still have to peer around poles for that future element yet the Fratton end is the only one that remains unrestricted
1: yeah well I'm no structural engineer um first of all um but I I I, you I, you know what I'm led to believe from work I've done at other grounds is it probably comes down to space as well in terms of space that you've got both above and, and, and beyond to create that sort of cantilever effect which uh, you have at some stands and the ability with the fratting end and the way that was designed to create um, that area and the loading on it so it will come down to foundations as well um, but the thing with the north stand of course is that um, you know looking ahead and when we can redevelop that north stand then it gives you the opportunity with so much land and raising the roof much higher to actually you know get those pillars out and that if you, if you get that north stand you're going to have that will be the biggest stand in the ground by some way where you will have that uh, ability to have an impeded viewing. Now, I know that's in the f- I know that's a vision. I know that's in the future and lots of circumstances depend on it, but that's the vision that we've got. I mean, you've got to have these things, you know, available. I know people are crying out to look at plans uh, for that as well, but I'm not in the stage to do that yet. And I'll be quite honest as to why, because there are a number of discussions going on with different stakeholders. There's a number of different alternatives as well that could work. And um, I know well, people say, Okay, can you put some different options on to see how it is um, what I don't want to do is prejudice any planning applications for what we want to do going forward so you know we're working with a council that's very supportive um, it's in the Portsmouth local plan that uh, you can see some of the ideas for that particular area um, there are other discussions going on with other stakeholders at the moment um, we've got new owners across the road at the Pompey Centre as well who are keen to look at options for their site as well so it's hanging everything together and I've made that my business in the first few months because as you can probably tell from my background, you know, this is a thing that I've got a little bit of experience about. Just to try and find out how we can, you know, bring that vision to reality. Um, because we need to be ready uh, to go uh, with extra capacity as the club progresses through the divisions. Um, demand will be there, but also the opportunities to, you know, make this club really, really special place to come seven days a week instead of once a fortnight will be hugely important. That's what the North Stand will create. So different ways we can we can make that happen but coming back to your question about pillars and posts um yeah it's frustrating um but i think it's going to be something to do with cost and it's going to be something to do with with you know as, as, as i said with structural works and you're limited as to how high we can take the milton end because of that residential areas behind us and that also applies to this stand as well that we're sitting in now in the in, in in the south stand so it's it's something that um yeah i think will be rectified with the north stand and then the Fratton end as well you know potentially can you extend and expand that as well um to to create extra capacity there will be something i'm going to be asking some questions on not least because we've got things like safe standing coming up on the agenda as well which i think is going to be an important component of the fraternity going forward
2: just to wrap up on that point i imagine at some point the conversation will have at least taken place were there any theoretical ideas as to how you would make them freestanding or was it whenever you looked at it did it just appear to be not practical at all you'd never really find a practical way forward to make it happen in terms of the in in terms of having restricted viewing and taking away those pillars and restructuring the roof was it a dead runner from the get go did did every time you look at it it just you know, was there something? Uh, was there too much standing in the way?
1: Yeah, I think you have to ask people prior to me those questions. In all fairness, because the designs all all sort of came in, but I understand the South sta- um the Milton End is you know is, is, is got a quite a, a, a quite a large part of contaminated uh, uh, soil between it, which will have to be rectified going forward. Um, and um, the, you know, as I said, the space behind to build back to create those, take those pillars out to create the extra support structures. You know, we I, I would imagine uh would have had to have gone back a bit further so i think that's probably a question best put to other people uh rather than me um what i'm here at the moment is say right how can i take where we are is what we've got the most exciting opportunities here will be for how we you know we improve the whole site and what we can do both at uh, on, on, on you know within the north stand potentially look at what we can do in the Fratton end and then beyond going all the way down to to rodney road
2: yeah, just to wrap up the Milton end point quickly, uh, and this is actually a, a positive element of it, is that there will be a new viewing platform for the disabled supporters at the back of the Milton end. This is great news. It takes the disabled fans out of the exposed elements of what is obviously that very high frat and end roof, the rain down this part of the South Coast. It likes to come from all directions. <laughs> Can you just advise on what the specialised facilities and access the disabled fans will have in the Milton End?
1: Sure. Well, actually, we're looking to extend disabled facilities right throughout the ground. So you'll we'll see facilities in the North Stand, the South Stand, as well as going into that Milton End. The Milton End uh, will be uh, at a higher level. Uh, as you said, it's something which is long overdue at Fratton Park. I, I, now, coming here with my two previous clubs, whenever I came back from the away trip here, I got inundated with complaints from our disabled supporters something up with Portsmouth. We had to sit with the home fans, and you know we got soaked, soaking We used wet. to have portaloos for uh, toilets in the uh, away and and end. It, and uh, and it, it's just not, it's just not how it should be. So this is a massive. It will take us well over a hundred DDA spaces um, going forward at different levels throughout the ground. We're looking as well at uh, working with the, with the Disabled Supporters Association to look at how we can improve extra facilities. So changing places, which is now coming into a lot of venues across the United Kingdom, is something we're going to invest in further as well so that um you know there's an extra facility we're looking as well at putting one into this stand and the south stand as well so that um you know we, we 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 start to 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 build that into our thinking to provide a really good accessible experience for those that haven't perhaps been well catered in an aging stadium in the past
2: absolutely yeah i think it's great news all around on that front and they'll hopefully have a much better home for it in the future uh, we'll wrap up the stadium talk and potentially just the the investment talk of the future in itself when Michael Eisler came out of the AGM video and I've read the minutes from the TGFC meetings the money quoted in the championship that's being spent is quite rightly labeled as crazy uh, I think Reading is one of those that you can always go back to the number of the soft my head is they spent 295% of their turnover on wages the question for us though as a club going forward is that is that Eisner had initially said at the time that there wouldn't be a new north stand until we got to the championship or higher on the eventual basis that we get to the championship we need to somehow find a way of being sustainable but also compete in the championship, not on terms of Reading's level because that's ridiculous, but in terms of generating revenue that allows us to consolidate our position in the championship. For the moment, what is the club looking at in terms of innovative measures, traditional measures? What are they trying to do to generate revenue? For the future, what new ideas are they trying to come up with in order to make sure that we're preparing for that future challenge of the championship and consolidating our place there while being sustainable?
1: such absolutely incredibly important that you actually create solid foundations you know do you want to be a Rotherham going up coming down going up coming down it's, it's you know I believe
2: they're on for their 5th now promotion into League 1 in the, or 5th promotion in, the, yeah. in a decade on yeah, that number. it's yeah.
1: phenomenal but you want to get there you want to stay there and establish yourself so you can take a you know a really big leap forward the next time round in the way that Brentford were able to do in terms of you know getting to get. <coughs> getting to the championship, Brighton the same, um, and then making the leap up a few years later into the Premier League, as opposed to, you know, coming up. And it is a very, very difficult league to compete wages as things stand. Now, one of the big things about the fan government-led review, which we support, um, and we're fully behind the Football League's drive uh, in terms of sustainability measures that, that are published, and this is to, you know, try and redress this madness in the championship where you've got owners coming in you've got uh, clubs coming down with parachute payments and creating a distorted picture that makes it very very difficult for self-sustainable clubs to compete and all credit to people like Luton who have been able to you know to, to, to establish themselves now over a couple of years uh, necessarily you know w- w- without the resources um, within their stadium to, to develop and of course they're looking at a new stadium to themselves to to, to address power that court. It, yeah. Yeah. but you know f- fair play and well done to them for where they are and well Done to the other two clubs for having the ability to go on and drive on um, you know perhaps with clubs that hadn't you know unlike a Norwich or somebody that had been up and down um, for the Championship Premier League there are clubs that have worked their way through the divisions to get to where they are now I think um, for me what we need to do is we need to look at the whole site as to how we can regenerate and come up with different ideas that can generate cash that will make things happen so that would enable us in, in, in turn to stop this decline in attendance that's going to you know if we didn't do anything with the stadium this is the first it that Michael eyes and this is a really clever bit in trying to make sure that we don't drop towards 10,000 you know that we go beyond the 15,000, 16,000 where we currently are back up to 20,000 by having a stadium which is fit for purpose that, that that that's really really crucial and important that we do that and then beyond that what we then do with the site so the mixed residential units the hotels whatever we do whether we're a partner whether we're not whether we work with other people to make them work are all incredibly important to, to, to driving that extra revenue but the most important thing goes back to the family review i think as well in terms of the hard work that's been done by tracy crouch and let's not forget that people from portsmouth have made an incredible contribution to to, to those workings as well well and uh, you know to make football sustainable to get rid of the parachute payments which distort the division I mean parachute payments I think you know 15-16 15-16 years ago were about 6% of total championship revenue now I think it's I've read it's between 30-40% to 40% of well, championship to the point, revenue no, it's almost uh, beneficial
2: to get relegated it, which seems ridiculous
1: yeah, yeah and 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 you know you've got um, no principle then of terms of financial control so you can get owners going who can go into the championship actually can go into league one and they can spend uh, a huge amount of money and do that for a season or two uh, but then You know run out of the means to actually fund it and we've got two cases at the moment in 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 the championship where everybody can see what's happening there and that fundamentally puts community assets at risk so i think the strategy right is is entirely right here to make sure that we don't spend beyond our means so that at some point you know, should owners get upset get you know walk away from a football club then somebody else has got a massive bill to pick up and make it extremely difficult so the investment that we're doing here is the right way to go but um, it's like you know you don't stop you then say right where do we go next and that's why i mean, that that was one of the reasons that attracted me to the football club was to explore those opportunities and see how far we can take it because championship is where at least this football club needs to be and deserves to be but mm-hmm. once we get there we've got to make sure we stay there and and look beyond
2: Is there anything in the immediate pipeline that is um, the club's looking forward to 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 introducing that would uh, generate new revenue streams?
1: well i think i think first first of all the fact that we can you know next season we can look forward to three to four thousand fans potentially more coming into the stadium i think that don't that, that underestimate the revenue that that helps to drive and bring in if we get it right and we're very smart and work with supporters to look at where we can get secondary spend coming into the stadium as well on, on match days so that's uh, that's hugely important um but i think you know at the moment we're very very limited here in terms of conference and meeting space or whatever but that's a hosp- that's a whole area of non-match day hospitality that I want to drive forward as a strategy to look at what we can do with the assets we've got and then look to improve that so I can make a really compelling case going forward as to what the North Stand can deliver. Um, at Norwich we rebuilt the Gerald Stand in 2004-2005 season and it has created in that space oceans of space you wouldn't believe how much space you can create for all sorts of different alternative uses and the great thing is slowly but surely you know michael and his family have invested in some of the properties beyond this obviously the new shop the communities uh pumping the community offices uh or beyond this and there's some other properties that we own on the site as well which we lease out and that has that 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 will mean that that site then becomes a big part of what we can work together in partnership with the council, with other stakeholders on the area to create something special in this area. Um, and, and there's a lot of things happening in Portsmouth at the moment. Uh, we've got. Um we got the 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 you know I talked about it. One or two people have said, "Well, what about you know cruise ships? Can't see people on cruise." But Portsmouth, I'm told by the council, is under resourced by about four to five hotels. So you know there, there's an opportunity there. For example, um, you won't do the sort of you'll never do the sort of complex again. That stadium mk was able to do on leisure and retail those days have gone it's more now about sort of mixed commercial use offices, office space residential is a huge part now of how grounds are being funded in terms of um you know in in in, in terms of enabling developments uh, and those are the areas that i'm that you know that I, I i will i will continue to work very very hard at
0: well, we'll come on to match day experiences in in a second uh, Andrew but uh, w- one thing before we before we come away from that uh, we're going to talk about if, if possible the, the academy uh, something that's bit, that's come up obviously I'm sure you've, you've seen it a few times but can you clarify the overall situation at the moment there are reports that the academy sides don't actually play that often they continue to train all over the place with no real dedicated home and um, we actually asked a question on our podcast we asked for real experiences of that and we, we were quite alarmed at how many people actually told us you know what what was happening from from their perspectives can you clarify the overall situation
1: yeah there's a huge shortage of pitches in in Portsmouth um, and when you when you um, try and book something on a regular basis um, you tend to find that there's competition from you know non-league clubs uh, wanting to use them on particularly on Tuesday and Thursday evenings for training uh, and uh, the quality of pitches is if they use regularly soon cut up. It's a problem that we experience, you know, at Roco as well. Um, and so we've got we've, we've worked on a number of different areas this year, which haven't always been available to us, particularly in the months of December and January. Collingwood's a good example where you know we've worked with the Navy to to be able to use those facilities, but it's not great, it's not brilliant. So Roco gives us um, an opportunity to use a little bit more, but it still doesn't give us sufficient land uh, than 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 what we would need to get every academy team on site playing you know if we could get the extra land beyond us which I I don't think will ever happen but if we could get that and we'd be very interested if that was to become available uh, then we would be able to get everything onto one site Uh, and that would be the long term ambition to do that but I think that's in for the long haul so what we've got to do at the moment and I'm encouraging uh, Greg and his team to do and we'll come on to culture we'll come on to standards because that is incredibly important as to how we drive this academy forward is to look at sites early now that you know, if it costs us a little bit of extra investment to put into pictures so we can secure them early and and, and get them, then we'll do it because it's the most fundamental aspect you've addressed it you've said it you know it is an area of concern it's not just an area of concern to supporters it's it will be to players to parents and and to me that we've got those facilities and to greg and to the coaches and particularly now as we recruit going into a new area where we're demanding a different emphasis a different culture different standards within the academy of a much you know creating a high performance environment um then we have to deliver on those things so that's a that's a real area of focus and it will require some investment. Um but um you know we, we and if we have to go a little bit further afield to do that, um, you know, maybe three or four miles outside of Portsmouth to get the best pictures, uh then we'll do so.
0: I think that's obviously fairly important. Obviously fans that they all talk about it we hate to admit this but we're miles behind the teams around us in the local areas so that is something obviously we'd
2: like like to focus on but did you want to step in yeah just one last point on the academy before we move on to what we would call miscellaneous is that there have been buzzwords like investment in there Greg Miller I personally feel is a really good acquisition because he's got a good history with the Scottish Football Association a good history with Hibernian one of the best sides in Scotland for churning out really good talents you know John McGinn one of them a yeah. lot of great players have come through from Hibernian in, in the past you've mentioned that we've invested in the academy but there are a lot of different variables as to what makes a successful academy can you advise on the specifics of what Pompey's youth set up wants to focus on what it when it when it comes down to it rain or shine what is the one thing that Pompey's youth set up wants to pride itself on and where is the the key source of that investment going into
1: high standards a high performance culture is absolutely critical where complacency is not tolerated uh, where players have to perform at you know have to, have to be have to play at you know and, and, and be developed uh, the coaches perform to that to the higher standards that you expect of them and they want to develop themselves um, it does mean that you know if you get really good coaches then you're at risk of obviously losing them but We'll see that as a, as a success because then we can drive the next set of coaches who want to come to Portsmouth to be a coach because it can only enhance their careers. Um, we want to get that absolutely right. And part of the, the Roco acquisition was to align the academy better with the first team. And I think that's really, really important going forward. We've already seen successes in that in terms of medical and sports science. We invested this year in real live GPS tracking systems, whereas before it was sort of uh, retrospective in terms of the way you take it down have to analyse it so we put some investment into that working with the first team in terms of um, aligning those projects we then start to align it Danny and Greg got a great working relationship so you know making sure on the coaching that everyone's properly aligned and people can see opportunities we've seen Michael Polk obviously graduate from the academy into the first team uh, this year as well which is one good example that can demonstrate to good coaches that there's you know there could be a career for. Here at here at Pompey in the first team as well, those things are incredibly important. Um, so. What everybody, every supporter does ultimately want to see is players graduate from the academy into the first team, players they can call on their own. You've made one or two already earlier this evening You know that uh, uh, you know that people are particularly fond of. We saw the recept- warm reception that Connor Chaplin got when he came back and played for Ipswich earlier in the season. And for any club, whether it's Norwich, whether it's MK Dons, that means so much um, in defining you as a football club when you start to see those players coming through. And we've not seen too many of them recently and I know that is disappointing. But those are outcomes because the, if you get the basics right, then you'll get the outcomes. It's not going to be something that you're suddenly going to see next season or the season after. We've got to work at this now to get the you know start to get the throughput over so the next three to four years. But we can also make sure that I talk about being complacent when a boy comes into the academy at eight. He's got to know that he's got to really, really, it's, it's not like a passport to, you know, a decision being made at 16 as to whether he will get a scholarship and at 18 as to whether he'll get a pro contract. We've got to be really, really flexible um, and we've got to think really wide as to whether, you know, if people aren't you know people develop differently and if they start to fall away then we have to be perhaps a little bit more ruthless equally if there's a really good boy that's been identified in Portsmouth playing for a local team playing within the community that they've got those pathways that we can bring them in at 12 13 14 15 so one of the big things we've done um the last couple of months that Greg's immediately in schedule is we, we've increased the number of scouts because you know we, we we've got to be smarter at our recruitment in Portsmouth we can't afford to you know we, we can't afford to miss out on boys. Who are being seduced by the opportunity to go elsewhere down the south coast um they've got uh, yeah they'll have cat one facilities we're a cat three academy we know that but i think there's passion in portsmouth a dad will want his boy to play for portsmouth oh, certainly then we, we see on the them. forum
2: where parents yep. you know speak of their pride on that basis and canvassing the grassroot pitches at all age levels yep. like you say is, is hugely important to find any unearthed talent
1: yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that's where we've got to be smarter. So we've we've, we've, so we've increased the number of paid scouts now going out. We've doubled the number. Um, and, and that is something that we've got to really, really drive harder at. We'll go outside of Portsmouth as well, of course, to, to look at other areas that we're not, we're not missing out on individuals. But again, it's aligning that first team with the academy. And that's a bigger project for me to look at in terms of the overall view of that as to how I how how we how we make that happen and how we take that on to next steps so that's a, another subject in its own mm. uh, you know, to be discussed but that we'll start to see a few things happening there over the next few months I think that will will, will make us smarter uh, and, and we'll bring that alignment coming together because that's hugely important but standards culture hugely important that uh, we work as hard as we possibly can in the academy
0: matchday experiences right um, and this this I don't mean to come across Crosses. Oh, how can I word this? Um, I, I've been to, I've been coming to Fratton Park all my life. Um, obviously, I've just recently stopped doing the radio. I went to my first game at Fratton Park uh, at, against Charlton on the Monday, and from my personal point of view, I found it, I found it expensive, kind of lifeless. There was there was no real buzz around the place like it used to be so exciting to come down to Fratton Park there was just a buzz around the place outside at half time there was stuff going on it just it just, it lacked that for me is there any plans to, to sort of work on that and, and improve the match day experience at Fratton Park
1: yeah we talked about safety earlier on but there's much more to make this a really enjoyable place you really look forward to coming down meeting friends football is not a, sol- a solitary as, you know uh, exercise you 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 come down to meet with family you come with friends and uh you know it, it, i remember when we uh talked to a group of north stand lower season ticket holders there was a group of 15 16 who wanted to be moved together because it's part of their match day and didn't want to be split up and, and 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 that's a big part of it so coming here has got to be exciting there's so much we can do i can see so many things that you know uh we've worked on at other clubs but I think it's really important that those ideas come from supporters as well so we work together to take it on to next stage and (laughs) make the right investments and and that's why you know I've been speaking with um uh with with, you know with with the supporters trust about you know different ways that we can involve supporters and decision make the most And I think the the, the starting point for this is going to be match day experience so as I said some of the things we're doing at the moment the extra bar space is they're small steps um you know increasing the amount of things that are going to happen Happen. one of the one of the big things that um is going to happen uh, very shortly is we 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 we've been in talks with staggeringly good who have f- created a fantastic venue Stones Throw away from here on match days where fans are gathering and uh, coming together and we can work in partnership with that they're, they're creating part of their experience um but we're working with them to potential to, to look at bringing some product into the stadium um we're going to try it on Saturday in the Victory Lounge uh, with Doncaster Rovers with a dedicated bar in there and uh, being well, if that goes well, then we can take some packaged product into the other kiosks as well. So little small steps like that, I think, will be something that um, you know will have some resonance. But there's loads of other stuff we mm-hmm. can do. But the ideas mustn't come from the football club right. in solitude. So They're to come from that's supporters. That's why um,
0: you, you, you'll be glad that we're here because we've been doing a bit of uh, market research. <laughs>
1: this is going to be fun. Well, no, to be honest yeah.
0: with you, and, and we we put yeah. it out. We we sort of I, I got a bit passionate about it in the in one of our you episodes, did, yes. and, and I'm so I I can just visualise this happening now a fan zone at Fratton Park to get people to come down early on uh, some live music potentially even uh, uh, Andrew I'll DJ for free for you if you really want me to I'll, I'll bring my stuff down done deal a little, exactly a little fan zone <laughs> just just something yeah. like a, I don't know an inflatable yeah. goal so the kids yeah. can have some penalty shooters against yeah. the mascot something like that to get people to come down earlier and and just to have a buzz outside again because at the moment for me it's just it's not what it used to be and I think something like that and we put a a poll out and we had about a thousand votes
1: we had over a thousand responses on it let's try and make it work it's it's exactly that sort of thing I think that uh, they're easy wins they're quick wins and I can remember going back in when I started at Norwich in 98 and we decided we were going to go for a massive family develop a family football club um, you know Norwich was under underperforming you know 12,000 crowds played in Europe five years earlier but getting 12,000 in the stadium for 24 so we took the you know we took it between the teeth and mm-hmm. for families we outside the ground and I got absolutely attacked for creating Billy Smart Circus in Norwich a lot of <laughs> traditional fans didn't like it but we had the sky guys in the stadium we had clowns balloon modellers all those sorts of things to make that kid when he wants to come He might not have seen a great football match He might have seen a goal of straw with Bury on a Sunday afternoon but you know he remembered that, and he wanted to come back yeah. and those are the things that you know you want to come back because there's so much going on it's not just about the football's the most important thing on the pitch I get that but there's other things that you can create to make this I, very I know, very special I know, I know you're we not silly like it. it's an event yeah. isn't it Yeah, well, I,
2: it, I,
0: know, I know you're not silly but financially as well for the club it will bring in more revenue it's a no brainer isn't it it's a no
1: brainer and I've offered you my DJ service for free come on and it's live on air so I mean where could <laughs> we all I, go think, wrong, huh?
2: I think, you know, obviously, with a fan zone, yeah. for example, you'd have to yeah. put it in the North Stand car park. But obviously, the club takes money for having a North Stand car park. Is there any possibility of opening up a, a discussion with one of the the sites in the pompey center tesco itself because i've noticed that when we come to match days a lot of people don't do their shopping at tesco between Mm. the hours of 12 Mm. and 5 why because there are several thousand people trying to get into portsmouth to the game and they go well i'm not going to go in the middle of that Mm. is there any way that we could approach any of these sites around the pompey center saying look can we do a deal to have some of your car parking spaces that would then you know enable them to get a cut of it we get a cut of it as a club that then frees up a section of the north stand where you can open up a fan zone where the people can come and they can give the club money incentivizes people to come to the ground earlier which is something you you championed earlier in the season when we had ticketing issues it also incentivizes them to give the club money in in every sense Everyone's a winner here. Is is that possible at all that those discussions could be opened up and then we could get fans in here enjoying being around Fratton Park, not just between the hours of three
1: and five? nothing's impossible you can explore every and that's the sort of ideas you can only ask a question you can have those discussions with people and that's all part of what we're trying to do in terms of um, communicate with um, you know with the partners around the site as to how we could make things better I mean staggeringly good's not far off the footprint so there's Oops, another in opportunity the shadow, really. to, work, to work together so that was immediately something you know we've identified and met Joe and his team who've done a great job down there to see let's let's start to see how we can get a partnership going to work together um, so so yeah absolute, 100% Ryan and Liam these, these are things and these are the ideas we want we might not get we might not get very far with it we might be given a flat no but if you don't ask the question you'll never know one condition the ideas. you have
0: to name it after our podcast if you do it, <laughs> like, you said, it I honestly think it would go around so well and there's, yeah. there's definitely there's, there's, it's got to happen we've got to
2: make it happen we'll, we'll keep on it you till you do it um, right where are we now the deal uh, breaker is that he DJs <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just Mike Coldfield over and over again for three hours
0: <laughs> no, I I've just, I've just, spoke, I've spoken to several fans with, especially fans with kids, and they said that'd be a great idea. And some people went against it. They said, "Oh no, you don't want to take the um, revenue away from local pubs." But. It wouldn't. <laughs> we, we know how much Pompey fans love a drink around Fratton Park. That won't stop. No, you'll, get, you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll actually generate more revenue because you'll be getting more younger mm. fans to come and yeah. enjoy the experience. That's, yeah. that's the idea.
1: Well, and, you know, if you think naturally, you can work with those pubs as well to create because it, it's exactly. all part of the experience of coming to Fratton Park. There people have used those pubs yeah. for, you know, for years. But how can you work closer with them as well and people around you to, you know, we're, we're all big, one big family, aren't we, in Portsmouth? There we go. And that's what we, uh, you know, we, we can work harder at.
0: Yeah. Uh so that's that wrapped up. We're going to finish off uh, cuz we've uh, well an hour and 15 minutes we've kept you for blimey.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so the wrap up basically the last segment you've been gracious enough to come on the podcast. You've we've spoken about positive elements of the club. You've also faced some of potentially the more uncomfortable questions is there anything that you you know you now have this opportunity to speak directly to us we have an established listener base of over a thousand a week is there anything that you'd wish to impart you know come back to the fans with are there any exciting miscellaneous projects going on that the the, the fans can get excited about that we, we get can... an exclusive over the news he's basically asking is that, is that,
0: is that possible
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but you know this is your chance to speak yeah. to us the fan base or is there anything else going on at the club that we're not aware of about that, that can put some smiles on Faces
1: well, I think keep coming up with the initiatives. Uh, they're, they're really, really important to us in terms of you know it's your football club at the end of the day. It doesn't belong, you know. I, I'm, I'm I'm a steward of the football club for a, hopefully a few years, um, but you'll be long here, you know, when I when I when I've left the club. And uh, equally, you know, the owners are custodians of the football club at this moment. So you know, we we need to make sure that we that we create something really, really special uh, for everybody, and that we make sure the club's sustainable and doesn't get. Into the problems um, that it faced before. And I can understand, you know, some people have skepticism, they'll have distrust of me, they'll have, um, you know, uh, a little bit of. Uh, you know, or, you know, not certain where, where where the owners are from time to time, and you know that's entirely natural when you think where the clubs come from and the, and it, and its recent history. So you know, if you've been sort of cheated on um, before, then and several times, then you know you you start to have that little bit of um, you know uh, you know people have got to prove themselves. So all I can do is is do my very very best for for the football club. Keep I got two ears keep listening trying to do what I can do best to take the club forward over you know the, the, the next the next few years but make sure we do it in a proper structured way so that we ultimately achieve the ambitions which have got to be on the football pitch uh, that's, uh, all the other things going on are great and they'll help us when we get there um, but you know we've got big ideas big dreams for the football club all of us um, and we've got to make sure we do it in a, in, a, in a very very structured and sustainable way and I think there's going to be big things happening in the football industry you know the, 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 the real probability of an independent regulator coming in is going to transform the way that football operates in this country Um, and a number of initiatives in the fan-led review are going to lead to different things as well so we're going to see a slightly different landscape going forward Um, and I think Portsmouth has got the opportunity to be at the forefront and take advantage of those uh, reforms that are long overdue.
2: And in terms of you've come on this podcast, you've done the the monthly updates, you've mentioned the stadium work in the video, I believe that was late November, December, that that offers more avenues for fans to hear directly from the club in terms of things going on. Obviously, Michael Eisner's AGM video back in November stated that he himself hadn't personally been as communicative with the fans as he'd expected. When are we likely are there any estimated dates to have the owners come back over to Portsmouth to engage with the fans a bit more directly? They did admit in that AGM that they they could do with communi- communicating yeah. a bit more.
1: They were really keen to come over uh, just prior to Christmas, in fact. And on the way down to the Gillingham game uh, in in sort of the first second week in December, uh, I had a chat with Eric on the way down, and Eric said he was planning to come over the week after that to see the games against Morecambe and Sheffield Wednesday and come over for a week. So we started to <laughs> plot an itinerary on the on the on the car journey together, and then um, of course that afternoon, uh, Boris announced that we were going into Plan B and that. Uh, uh, anybody coming in from abroad would have to quarantine for a number of days which on a sort of six seven day visit uh meant that most of it was going to be locked up in a hotel so um so i think now those restrictions are starting now to be lifted in the next couple of weeks we we probably would look forward hopefully to seeing um well certainly eric i think coming over and 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 and, and, and uh spending some time and, and meeting meeting supporters uh the um the other thing is as well is that there was a a commitment to uh hear a bit more i think um uh michael and eric um i've always felt that the chief exec should do uh, a lot of the talking mark was obviously very engaged with the fan base in terms of communicating and you know it's it's a big shoes to fill but it's something that i'm committed to doing and as i said taking it as well in a a new direction if i possibly can with you know supporter initiatives and working with supporters to, to to take us forward so um Uh, I think um, they recognise that in in American sport, people don't want to hear from the owners. They want to hear from the people who run the football clubs. But I think, you know, it was stressed to them that, you know, it'd be really good to uh, just increase from now and again. Maybe if it's just, you know, don't worry too much about the detail, but talk about the vision and the plans for the club. So it reflects the commitment that they have, which I know they have. And you can see they have by initiatives that have taken place in the last 12 months with this stadium redevelopment with the purchase of ROCO um, funding the huge debt that will come up or the huge losses that people will start to see um, when the accounts are published later in the month or in or in March and the undergoing losses that are coming in this season as a consequence of COVID that's their commitment to Portsmouth Football Club um, and there's no debt on the football club as, as other owners are put in um, from America and from abroad and leveraging those clubs um, and leaving them potentially in very precarious positions it's not the case here um, um, and uh, I'm extremely grateful for that. All the new investment that's come in has come in the form of share issues and equity, uh, and uh, that's a very, very lucky and healthy position to be in at a football club right now.
0: There we go. Uh, well, what a, what a way to end. Thank you very much for, for seeing us, and uh, hopefully we can meet up again in a few months time and get another update see how we're obviously yeah. things are progressing on and off the field and uh, yeah be, be good to get you back on so thank you very much yeah. for, for having I, us I've really enjoyed indeed, it yes. really
1: enjoyed it guys thank you so much for doing this and you know really wish you every success with what you're doing because you know all the different forums and channels that supporters can you know talk about and get their information about Portsmouth Football Club encourage Debate might I might like some of the things that you, you'll talk about from time to time but that's again that's really positive for the football club in the long run that you've got that engagement going so fantastic fantastic and you know uh, any way I can support you um, be pleased to do so
0: fantastic thank much you, very much. you let me let me DJ come on <laughs> thank <laughs> you very much mr. cullen thank you sports social podcast network.